0: This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's Most Trusted Energy Providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit (laughs) princewinestore.com.au. Welcome everybody to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is our 250th episode, Corrie Perkin, and it is our first for 2023. How wonderful to see you again and what a lot of stuff we have to unpack.
1: Carol, we're going into our seventh year and they said we wouldn't make it and I just have to excuse
0: everybody. <laughs> Who said to everybody. That? Who said we weren't going to make it? Well, I think
1: husbands. Who said that? <laughs> husbands, children, footy folk. Apologies to Potties for my voice. I have the traditional summer cold and uh, and I have tested uh, a couple of times and, of course, it's negative. It's just a filthy cold, but I sound terrible. Although my husband, Pete, said this morning, it's actually a really sexy voice and he I think he loves the fact that for two days I couldn't talk. <laughs>
0: Well, you're a trooper. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you again to Miss Jane, who is going around with us again for another year. And, of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, Red Energy. Remember, if you're moving house, to call the local energy retailer, Red Energy. And, of course, our wonderful friends at Prince Wine Store. Haven't we given their product a hammering over the last month, Corrie?
1: We have indeed. And interesting, Caro, catching up with friends at this time of year. The number of people I know who are buying now from Prince Wine Store. So good on you. Listen to the pod. Go to Prince Wine Store. Have a chat to Miles. It's the best way to buy your grog.
0: The yay yay has been a particular... Mm. Favourite in our house. Now, Carmel Markham via email has sent us a lovely message. Happy New Year. Thank you for the wonderful recommendations you both share. Of late, especially the SBS show North Sea Connections. I can't wait for the next series of that. And over the Christmas and New Year, uh, Carmel tells us she made the tuna dip, which was originated from our friend and slave and nanny and babysitter Joe Campion, but mainly friend. Her husband, in fact, added to the last batch half an avocado a nice twist. Reminds me of our friend Mindy's avocado and hummus dip uh, that I've a made a few times. It's what absolutely beautiful.
1: Uh, just a, a little uh, note of... of there about Joe Campion our friend who has always been very comfortable with the term slave because we call her that as a term of endearment. One potty said to me over the Christmas period that she thought it was quite mean of us to call her slave and it was demeaning to women who work with children and in homes and so on and I take that point on board. I wonder whether we should change Joe's. Mantra. Is or that the title. same
0: person who didn't think we co- should call Jane Miss Jane? Miss Jane. <laughs> oh, for heaven's Which sake! Which Miss
1: Jane loves anyway? Uh, Nicole, well, okay, Jane, uh, Joey, we're going to come up with a different name for you that that it's fully represents how much we love you. It's a silly
0: joke, Joe. Sorry, but speaking of sorries, Corrie. Oh dear! Please, do we have to? Yes, and you. It's it, it's your. What, what do they say? Anyway, it's it's your baby. It's Go your ahead. Problem.
1: <laughs> OK, this is an email that we received after our last episode of uh, 2022. It's addressed to me, Carol, not the podcast. Dear Ms Birkin, you will recall that I wrote to you some months ago in respect of your incorrect recollection of my name during a recent podcast of yours. To refresh, I wish you wouldn't, you and your co-host, Ms Caroline Wilson, repeatedly mistook me for someone called Rishi Sumak, my staff informed then that you both performed something of a mere culpa in a subsequent podcast, for which I was
0: grateful. In Are you going to read... You can't read this whole email. No, I'm
1: going to just read the top part, Carol. To because be, be, be. I'm worried
0: about your voice.
1: In a spirit of long-held amity between our two nations, I was prepared <laughs> to put the unfortunate matter behind us. However, I may have been wrong to do so. Tiresomely, your names have again been brought before me by my staff this afternoon, who advised that on a number of occasions during your most recent review of the year you referred to me as ricky sunak
0: <laughs> this is true bodies i, I thought did. you i thought you called him Ricky, actually I thought it was Richie, but, he, but this, this person is a I very good said, writer Ricky, and has taken a lot of trouble. You managed to pronounce
1: my surname correctly, but seemed to struggle repeatedly with one's actual name, which is Rishi, and I will spell it for you, R-I-S-H-I. It means enlightened one in ancient Sanskrit and evokes in Hinduism, the faith of my parents. Oh, anyway, it goes <laughs> on and on. The, adding insult to injury, you don't get off lightly, Carol Adding insult to injury, your colleague, Ms Wilson, said, and I quote, Thank heaven she got it right this time.
0: I I know, and I'm, I'm blaming the fact that I wasn't listening Which properly. Which of the
1: pray tell mindful of the etymology explained above heavens was Miss Wilson offering thanks to? Oh. Surely not the one where one's names are repeatedly pronounced incorrectly. Furthermore, you twice mentioned a woman called Lynn Truss, who she... <laughs> I know at least Truss, or at least I did. And, and again, goes,
0: again, I'm sorry, but I think that was you. I no, wh- it was
1: me, because you What were is white? you with British no, PMs? No, well... well I explained this to you afterwards when we were just in fits of horror slash laughter about this because there is a journalist an English journalist yes correct. called Lynn Truss and she actually has an ex- excellent book on grammar which I clearly need to read <laughs> <laughs> anyway I, I know Lynn Truss I'm I mean, I read her stuff, I read her articles in the papers and, of course, Liz Truss, for me, became Lynn Truss as the owner of this note um, who signs himself, not Rishi Sumak, not Ricky Sunak and, and not Lynn <laughs> Truss either.
0: And refers to um, your, well, and I suppose sanctioned by me because I didn't correct you, an international incident <laughs> bordering on.
1: How hilarious is this person who, I mean... Is it the British Prime Minister? I'm sure he has more important things to do. But whoever has it composed this note, we thank you. I apologise again. I double apologise for the Linley's Trust uh, error. Unbelievable. Uh, all I can say, there's nothing in my defence. All I can say was it was the end of a big year. Or That's as Kevin from
0: say. Geelong wrote in an early note, one of our longtime fans, your friend Corrie is a bit loose. <laughs> My
1: goodness, I was
0: before Can Christmas. be a bit loose. Anyway, Corey,
1: that was a great letter. We enjoyed it, and I'm just so appalled. And I know a lot of podcast listeners did actually hear that I'd stuffed it up again.
0: No, I think we should keep getting it wrong, because his notes or her notes are so funny. Anyway, <laughs> um, Corrie, we're sort of shooting the breeze today. There's a lot to, as I said, unpack. That's a bit of an annoying saying, I know. There's a lot to talk about. We're... We're a, a bit free range. We do have uh, BSF highlights of the last four or so weeks since we last spoke. It is actually four weeks. And obviously there's some international stuff to talk about as well. But 250 episodes. So we did we begin in 2017? <coughs> Caro, it should be engraved in your soul. We began. I know we did because the and Tigers I, you Premiership and I had been,
1: You and I had been away in warmer climes and... Uh, the idea had been suggested by our friend Craig Hutchison before we left, and when we came back, we dived right in. So I don't know the exact date of the first episode. It was either late, June, uh, late July or early August 2017. Yeah, it, was, it was
0: winter 2017, certainly. Yeah. And, it and actually in about the
1: third week, your, your husband, Brendan, joined us for a most excellent, as always, overview of state politics. At that stage, she was the Channel 7 state political reporter.
0: Well, it began, in fact, over a game of Scrabble a couple of years earlier that we talked about doing a podcast. We weren't quite sure how we you actually walking. did it. Work.
1: I thought we were walking with the, our daughters and the dogs.
0: Now, see, this is like, you know, when you hear wedding speeches and the couples can't remember. As It was very funny. I went to a little beautiful wedding recently and the versions from the bride and the groom of how they met were <laughs> diametrically were quite different. Um, I think we were playing Scrabble and I think your friend Jane was there. And we had a lovely chat, and then um, I think Coco might have been involved, but...
1: I do remember walking with our daughters, and this might might have been after the aforementioned Scrabble game. We were walking with the dogs and our two youngest children, and Mm. Clem and Coco were listening to our usual banter after 20 minutes, delightfully laughing at our jokes. They were young enough then to think we were fabulous, and they were just hysterical with whatever we were talking about. And... Clem actually, I think, was the one who said you guys should have a podcast, and Coco backed her up. And do you remember Annabelle Crabb came to the shop, the bookshop, once? Yep. And was she just started her uh, her? Chad
0: Ten looks five. Yeah. Yep.
1: Uh, with uh, Lee Sales, and um, she said you two should do a friends podcast. They're great fun. So it was in the ether, wasn't it?
0: Yes. And then um, I, I was driving Craig Hutchison home from an early footy classified that year, and um, he one of his most enjoyable moments of the week. I think he really enjoys uh, the sounding board that he does uh, with Damien Damien Barrett. Damien Barrett, how's my... Don't use the word baby brain, holiday brain. Um, Don't insult me with baby brain, obviously too old for that. And he said, I think you and Brendan should do a podcast. And I said, look, I don't know about me and Brendan, but I do have someone else who'd be interested anyway. So that, that was how it all began. Early disputes, your... Absolutely unfair and appalling treatment of poor Nicole Kidman and her acting ability. Oh for goodness sake! <laughs> Bordering on personal. Oh for goodness sake! A lot of royal chat over the last seven years. A lot of royal chat. Six. Royal
1: weddings, royal babies, lots of royal chat. Death of the Queen. Uh, we've done a lot of Oscar chat. We've done a, done a lot, a lot of, of Brownlow fashion chat.
0: <laughs> Dare I say Donald Trump? <laughs>
1: A lot of Donald Trump, um, a lot of
0: American politics, in fact.
1: And when you know, I, I mean, I, I look back on that now, Carol, In all honesty, um, to be to be truthful with you, because I was looking back on some of the comments from, uh, and I'll read some in a minute from our listeners, and there's often somebody who's. Very un- has been very uncomplimentary over the years about my bias against Donald Trump. And this started in 2017, I think. Well, I remain... I, I think I've been vindicated there and I remain absolutely concerned about the state of democracy in America, particularly after what's been happening um, in the House of Reps in the last week or two. But we have uh, we have delved into areas of politics at different times. I think often more... We've seen
0: two federal elections. We
1: have. And I think often more you and I, Carol, are trying to, to shine the light on what is the issue or the issues of the day, regardless of the party. And, um, and at times it's been uh, against a state government, at times it's been against a federal government, whatever that party may be. But we've had a lot of great chat. Wonderful
0: football uh, news from you, of course, and, um, Mike Sheehan has been a guest, Jeff Slattery, Anna oh. from the Op Shop, an absolute Anna's star. Anna's been great.
1: Kerry O'Brien was a great...
0: That was a great he session was. when he came on and talked about his memoir. Annabel Crab twice. Yes. My mother, Julia. Oh. Every was, single child, every, all, every, every one of our children. All of our children have been... My, hus- <laughs> my husband, Brendan. We're still Andrew waiting to Ruhl. do the
1: brothers. We're still waiting to my do, brother do William and Wilson your brother. and Steve Perkin. We'll get to that. But one... Um, Jane Caro. One... Interview or one Lisa Curry
0: Kenny, which I really enjoyed. One that interview guest too. that
1: um, you missed out on because you're away. Anna, Anna was with me. Was Judith Lucy. A year, couple oh. of years ago She was fa- I think it was when you were in Amsterdam She was fabulous And I do remember with huge affection When our friends from the Outer Sanctum The Race Sisters and their gang came in And joined Ran us Ran
0: into them yesterday, funnily enough
1: There you go um, Carol, I just made a little note Of some of the show titles that I've loved Some of them actually do sum up What we've gone through over the past six years Including an, a, a plethora of lockdowns here in Melbourne And um, in episode 38, Miss Jane, because the title's are always taken from a line that we've said in the program, Miss Jane has picked up one word, Corrie, moisturiser. <laughs> oh, no, moisturise. One word, Corrie, moisturise. Was my skin looking particularly dry that day?
0: I can't remember, but, you know, the, it, it does t- seem to be a answer to most problems, I reckon.
1: In ep 45, we were talking about Susie Quattro, how much we loved her, and the title of that episode was... Stick to your knitting, Susie.
0: <laughs> uh, what ep- was he doing? Did he <laughs> went political or something. Western? I don't know. Oh yeah. Yep.
1: Episode sixty-eight. No blow, blow waves. Where we're heading, baby? Where were we heading? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I love this one from a Walk, a podcast listener, a male podcast listener of ours, who later came into the shop. Funnily enough, and introduced himself as the person who came up with this. I love this title. I came for Caro. I stayed for. Colin. I
0: remember that. <laughs> I remember that.
1: Someone I don't know who it was. It could have even been Julia, in episode 103. I've lost all faith in my crumbles.
0: <laughs> that would be much. a
1: recurring theme. Episode 115 title. Maybe it was the weevils.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: then we got. And then we went into your uh, recurring theme. S- some of the lockdown episode titles are hilarious. Little old hairy legs. <laughs> <laughs> The oh. women of Melbourne are falling apart. Which was episode one hundred and forty-five, October twenty twenty. Yes, we were. And then one most recently, which I just adored. It was a se- we'd been to the pictures together, but you, I'd left you, and you and the gang spotted this happening: a nun coming out of a pizza shop. And the oh. title of episode two hundred forty-four was, I mean, why shouldn't nuns eat pizza? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it was the outfit, it was, that was very, that was a very, very funny night. We've also had some great live events, like yes. absolutely fabulous live events. And the first one we had at the Flying Duck Hotel in Peran, where we just met, we had a lot of lovely friends show up, but these wonderful people who had been strangers, who felt like friends, even when we did a Zoom podcast when I was in hotel quarantine in Sydney, and we probably only spoke to about 10 or 12 people, but it was so nice to meet them. And the Breast Cancer Network fundraiser which we did at the Melbourne Town Hall. Oh look the, the list goes on. But Films. the wonderful
1: events at Bell's Hotel and we're going to do another one this year which have just rocked. I just think the crowd that come to yep. that are so loyal, engaged. People even come on their own and sit down and they know that they'll be able to chat and they feel comfortable chatting to the people next to them. It's such a wonderful gang and I think that's what really makes this craziness all worthwhile and the fact that you and I just keep chatting. We've always got things to talk about and it's an absolute joy to do not everybody has loved us over the years Carrot. my god when you look at the comments on uh, apple apple itunes some of them <laughs> this one this one is from october so it's not that long ago from a guy called mike this is a show for the raving left green lunatics that hang out in melbourne's graffiti lined streets sipping on their almond milk lattes
0: Never had an almond latte in my life. I I occasionally do have an oat latte, though, I must admit.
1: This pair of old windbags should have been put out to pasture years ago.
0: That is why... <laughs> that is why... And see, you, you don't know this as much as me. Never, ever read social media. Stay... It's just... I only did this for the, for the purposes know, of research no, purposes I know, nev- you did. I research. never knew
1: that these were there. Otherwise, I would have um, made mincemeat of Mike. But lots of lovely ones as well. And I do... One in particular, I, because I think it captures the sentiment of what so many people tell you and I. And this is um, from... Uh, I can't see the name here, but you'll know who you are. Love listening to you girls as I pound the streets. I've been listening since episode one and have enjoyed the recipes, the book recommendations and screen suggestions. The addition of Miles from Prince Wine Store is a great move. Keep up the great work, Caro, Cory, and Miss Jane. Well, you know what? We're here and we
0: are. And we will. And um, just want to mention one more guest who we should get back. after. I think at the time he'd just... Um, Written one of his big exposés on the workings behind Crown was Nick McKenzie. Yeah, that was an absolute and highlight. As, and as
1: we know, that was the highest rating, almost listened to show that we've ever recorded.
0: Was it? Yes. Oh. Everybody oh. glued onto that. Nick was great, wasn't he? He was fantastic. We have But a ball. we are onward and upward. And um, let's just briefly go over how the last, how, how summer's fallen for us so far. Any highlights or lowlights from you? Highlights the weather. Yep. Much better than any of it expected. I think
1: La Nina, ha- not having given us After the spring, After the most went, disgusting
0: yeah. November and December. Yeah, she january she just said, right, you guys stunning. have had
1: enough. Well, off we go. Um, I've loved... The, late, the idea of the late afternoons and early evenings at the beach, we've really got into that this year, um, waiting until the crowds go. You know, when you actually live, your full-time living place is a seaside town, you do get a bit of crowd frustration, but it's lovely to go down to the beach at about 5 o'clock. Dare I say, we, you might have a gin and tonic in your esky, but the funniest night was one of our friends, I won't name her, but who's not a huge drinker by any means, and we had the rosé flowing and everything, and she said she drank so much Rosé she picked herself up from the beach with her husband he had to drive home and she found herself on the sofa at 3am in the morning. <laughs> and what about you I mean the highlights must have been
0: having your little granddaughter Sunday in your arms cap. Absolutely. Tell A- us all about that. Well having Sunday come down here for the first time and um, when she was born Brendan oh, it sounds so corny but he um, it wasn't co- it wasn't corny. He tied a yellow ribbon around the tea tree and he said, it's staying there till she comes and we're going to take it off. And so we had the ceremonial untying of the yellow ribbon.
1: After all of the health issues that Sunday has had, there wouldn't have been a dry eye in the
0: house. No, well, sadly, at the time of the untying, there were still some health issues. So probably spent a bit too much time in hospital this summer than I would have liked, or my beautiful daughter Rose and her husband Oscar would have liked, or little Sunday. But um, we had to ask ourselves for a few days as you know. We came round and uh, wild New Year's Eve (laughs) consisted of um, coming to your house for a beautiful drink, leaving at 8.30.
1: We put Sunny in the high chair and she ate really well. She She just come out of hospital, hadn't she? She
0: ate really well. We then proceeded to go home and share half a bottle of wine, eat a dozen oysters. We'd already had some beautiful oysters at your place and watch the end of Mamma Mia. I mean, talk about a wild night. (laughs) And at about 10 o'clock, go to bed. That was my New Year's Eve. Welcome to (laughs) grandparenthood. Oh, no, it's been lovely. The thing I love about this time of year is, and we're just coming to the end of it now, is that period where you don't know what day it is like you don't know whether it's monday or sunday or is it a public holiday or oh because of new year's was this day it's another public ho- i love that i love that feeling i agree and you don't look at your diary I not love that not even thinking of going to the fridge because there's just so many leftovers or if there's not just finding something in the freezer or as you said before you know you run out of tea but you know there's some beautiful um christmas present and the other th- the other recurring theme of summer is has anyone seen my sunglasses whose towel is this whose bag is that where did I leave that like how much stuff are you retrieving of other people's over the summer that that is that is another one for me no but um I've read some fabulous books eaten I think the best salmon recipe my yeah, daughter has ever made that. I was, that I'm I was, going to share um, that with the group. Yeah, and
1: I was lucky enough to have some you of that. You were the part other day. of
0: that. Went to a beautiful wedding in the Yarra Valley which was an absolute highlight. Um, haven't played nearly enough bridge. I haven't
1: played nearly enough Scrabble, but I know you've been busy with family, but maybe uh, we can start having a few games. Oh, we had a great had game a the games. other
0: day with our with our other two Scrabble friends and um one of them just slammed to the lead with her final word which was porkies which seven I'm still letters
1: i i was too sick to come to that but i'm you told me that and i'm still wondering whether porkies is actually officially a oh,
0: word of course of course it's a word and then i came up in the second game with Wayne scott well it was all over which after I that
1: never, it was all over i'm so impressed by that that has to be the word of the summer carol I, I reckon the big low point apart from the traffic which is just such a boring local thing to talk about and I'm always talking about traffic and cars anyway but um why is it that march flies arrive every year on the dot
0: around January fifteenth? It's actually marsh flies. Oh,
1: I thought they yep. were march. And
0: we all thought that. We all thought they were called march flies because they came out in late Feb March. The real name is Where March. When did
1: you do this research?
0: Because we had this discussion. Maybe you weren't part of it on the beach a couple of years ago. And I think I went home and looked it up. And in fact, my sister, another great highlight for me is having my brother and sister. Um, Around me for most of the summer, or certainly for big chunks of it, it's been really good because they live in Sydney, as you know. And my sister confirmed it again. Marsh.
1: Unbelie. Okay, I. Do am... they come
0: from the marshes? Maybe. Oh
1: well, that makes sense. Well, I just thought they were marsh, and I, I just, I was bitten yesterday on the beach, and I thought, right, that's it. You guys come two months too early, but, of course, they're entitled to. I guess it's also been a summer that's been dominated
0: by royal news. Oh, the really? The <laughs> really? Did somebody <laughs> bail you up the other day and say, I hope you're not going to talk about this on your podcast? Yeah, they did. Because if you do, I'm not listening. They did. Well, guess what? Guess what? We have to talk. It's <laughs> the biggest family feud I can remember in did terms you end up of international. All of the
1: episodes of the Netflix because you weren't going to?
0: No, I watched, I think, two, and it was just so I found it very, very self-obsessed and very, very look at me and sort of a a, a bit um, fly-on-the-wall stuff, but no, I didn't. I found it a bit silly. But you, in the name of research for this podcast, have read the very strangely titled Spare. By (laughs) Prince Harry. My sister said to me, are you Team Sussex or Team Windsor? And I said... I'm Team Windsor, and my sister said, "I think Corrie's Team Sussex."
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not any team. You'll remember. No, I. You'll remember not. at some point last year, Carol. I said, I, you know, I, I take on board all that you've been saying all these years about, you know, the Meghan Harry situation. But I, I still have enormous empathy. But um, just a few facts about this book. Spare. Did you know that 1.4 million copies, uh, in the first day around the world makes it the fastest selling non-fiction book of all time.
0: Breaking really? Breaking the record
1: that was previously held by former Bar- President Barack Obama's memoir A Promised Land. I would have thought, yeah, non-fiction, of course, Harry Potter doesn't count there. Um,
0: <laughs> it, um, It'd be nice if that was real, but it's not. <laughs> it uh, sold
1: 750,000 copies in the UK. Uh, the... UK polls on Harry's popularity—he has absolutely plummeted as we're as we're watching by the day. Um, but interestingly, I've been listening to podcasts on the BBC and Thames Radio and different uh, different outlets. When the Brits read this book, interestingly enough, they are more tolerant toward Harry, they're less agitated about it, a number of them, the commentators have actually said they've changed their view again. So that's kind of interesting. So for me...
0: Where's Megan uh, been, by the way? She's just disappeared well, in the last she, couple uh, of weeks. You know what, I think
1: it's really, really good that she's taking a totally low profile... Uh,
0: I guess I th- her book's gonna come out soon as well.
1: Well, I don't know whether she, does she have a book deal? I don't yeah, know about Yep that. she does. Does she? I, I think that's been very clever to just keep this between the royal family because essentially the Megan relation the relationship and the coming together is really at the back half of the book. It's not even the half, Garrow, it's probably like the last maybe hundred pages. A couple of observations. I think people, if they're going to say something about this book that's damning or rude, I, I would suggest that rather than rely on the pull-out quotes that have come from Fleet Street, just actually read it in the context of the book.
0: The dog bowl, the baby brain, Camilla's dangerous.
1: Exactly. So, for example, let's take the dog bowl incident. Harry's had two years of working with a, with a psychiatrist as post-traumatic stress disorder, not only for his mother's death but also for... For being in a war in in a war situation and seeing um, uh, soldiers fellow soldiers killed, so he's working closely with this Harley Street psychiatrist who has essentially said to him you know she's unpacking all parts of his life and says to him essentially look you're a high profile figure we have to make sure that all he was starting to have anxiety attacks and couldn't talk in public and William was very aware and very sympathetic of this and the psychiatrist says if this ever happens to you you must call me like we have to get you through this it's not like you're a normal client we have to fast track and see what's happening here because you're in the public eye so when this incident is happening at uh, Notcot, as they call it, um, which is the cottage uh, where Harry and Meghan lived when they were first married, and William is agitated and angry and, and trying to bait Harry and Harry's trying to be calm and going through all his therapy stuff, William lunges for him, Harry falls over, dog bowl, you know, hurts his back, all that sort of stuff. William a apo- goes into the other room then comes back and apologises and the damage is done. Harry then rings his psychologist. Now a lot of English journalists have picked up on the oh, oh suki suki la la. Why did he call his psych- psychiatrist? Sorry, why did he call his psychiatrist and not just sit on it or talk quietly to Megan about it or something? Because that was part of their program. That's the arrangement that they had. And when you read the fifty or so, fifty or so pages leading up to the conversations that he's been having with the psychiatrist and how he's been working on himself, it all makes sense, you know. Because Harry says, "I was," I, I, he has a tendency always in his life since his mother's death to see red everything goes red and he has a complete anger attack and a tantrum and he's been trying to control this so all of this is in the context of that and that's i think i think
0: my um no i I take on board that unfair analysis but i just find writing about it in the first place so extraordinary everything everything they do is such a paradox they you know, you keep hearing about his hatred of feeding the beast and this beast that has made his life an abject misery. And I do have sympathy about the press attention and what's happened to him. But. You know, to, to feed that by airing this dirty linen and a hor- a private thing that b- happened between two brothers just seems to me so unedifying to sort of talk on and on about how miserable this life has made him to such a... ..the, the royal life and not wanting p- to be part of it and then banging on about still wanting security and the titles for the children. I, I just don't understand what... I don't think... They know what they want. I don't think they know what they want either, to be
1: honest with you. I really don't, and I think this is part of the process. What he does want, and he makes very clear, that this book is about media, media coverage. It starts from when he's a baby and it goes right through. And the press and the paparazzi in particular are the bad guys. But also... Part of that are the palace insiders. Who are the insiders, and which royal members of the royal family are briefing the insiders? You don't think he's also a bit paranoid?
0: I mean, not- clearly he has mental health issues. And no, I don't who think he's paranoid
1: at all at all. Because he he lines up so many instances in his life where he's been chased in the car. His different girlfriends were chased in the car. Situations where there were two um, Paps who followed him for about eight or ten years, constantly trying to bait him. They would knock him, they'd jostle him, they'd hit him deliberately with the camera, just so because they knew he had a temper, just so he turned around and hit them, and then they get the shot. And they were fully prepared to have a black eye in the sake of making thousands of dollars. So I just I do I do think that the press and what effectively what he's saying with this book is the royal family can't have it all. You can't have a relationship with the press and feed them and then do as Megan and I have had, which is complain when something happens. Now, there were lots of complaints, for example, from William when there was the allegation that he was having an affair. There've been lots of um, low-level discussions between Fleet Street editors and Prince Charles about Camilla and different things, like could you take the heat off us. The Royal Family is stuck with this problem and Harry's saying, I have a solution. Don't feed them, don't be part of it. Manage it like Megan and I do. Remember when when mm. Char- when Archie was presented to the world? Manage it like we do and you'll have a happier life because at the moment no-one's happy and you're damaging us all. Now, just a couple of things. It is a document of Record Caro. Yes, it's Harry's version of events. Um... And it is his, his version because the royal family, of course, don't have a policy of never commenting. So we'll never know the truth, but that makes it interesting. And the other question I ask myself, is this book as big a bombshell as Andrew Morton's book on Diana that came out in... Um
0: Early nineties, whatever.
1: I think it is as big. Will it impact negatively on the royal family? Yes. Does it have the capacity to create change within Buckingham Palace structure, the role of the advisors, and the relationship between the royals and the media? Yes, it does. But that can only come from the king. Harry has done his bit. He now needs to be quiet. Enjoy the privacy that he craves, back off, and just let it settle. The rift between William and Harry, I think, is irreparable. Possibly also, this book will create greater rifts between Harry and Camilla, his stepmother. But I do think it is possible for Charles to show leadership here and mop all this up and get something happening before the coronation. Charles is the key. The father son relation. Ship is the key and I tell you what if Harry just keeps going on he will lose me but at the moment I'm not team Harry and Megan, but I just think this was a most interesting exercise and my god what a book it's a great read I have to say it's a great read and people, are, uh, friends of mine are listening to it on audio Harry reads the book and I say it's fabulous listening to his voice
0: It is amazing how, great review, thank you, it is amazing how history repeats itself though isn't it the, the parallels with the Windsor, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Edward and Wallace. The, you know, the, the Yoko Ono syndrome, that happens again and again in history. I mean, I had a great chat with my beautiful younger cousins and my two daughters and, and um, three beautiful younger cousins actually and daughters and I asked them all to give a quick synopsis of what they thought about Harry, not so much Meghan and my daughter Rose felt that she doesn't think... It's race for later, the dislike of her, but she certainly thinks there's a massive gender issue. She thinks gender plays a big part. And it is amazing how often it's seen that the woman the woman who broke up the Beatles, the woman who broke up the royal family. I mean, it's just interesting, isn't it?
1: And also someone who's different, Caro, too. I think the American exactly. factor for Brits. Brits have always had an issue about Americans. They've always Yoko been again. patronising, haven't they?
0: Yep. Oh, no, very, very interesting. And, you know, we should have been probably talking about the floods around Australia, the ter- terrible damage they've caused, you know, a few years ago. Go it was bushfires. We should be talking about the fact that there's still a war going on in Ukraine, which is just unthinkable. I mean, it was it was sort of it was sort of beginning to unfold, wasn't it? This time last year, and yet, you know, boy, m- maybe it's just the fact that they know I'm going to read it. But every day on my phone, <laughs> it comes up. Now, um, something else big has happened. You launched the Sorrento Writers Festival a few days ago.
1: We did just super. Excuse me, super quickly. Um, We did... We gave everybody a taste of the program. You know how I said we were going to try and have 45 writers. We have 101, Caro. I got a bit overexcited. So for potties who are interested... The festival I'm sorry,
0: I can't fit any more than one in, in the my Sorrento.
1: House. <laughs> yeah, we've got to fill it them up and down the peninsula. Um, great excitement the other night. Yes, we had some terrific speeches from people like Hanny Race and the wonderful player who wrote Hotel Sorrento. So it was appropriate that she was standing at the Continental, which is a hotel at Sorrento, and gave a beautiful speech. And there were really great um, Zoe McKenzie, who's the local member f- in Federal Parliament. Really lovely night. Thank you to everybody who came. And uh, It was just wonderful to watch people's faces as I told them who was coming. And it's just an amazing array. We might perhaps talk about it a bit more next week because a lot of the writers are worthy of a discussion. But if anybody's interested in the program, it is coming out in February. Our website is under construction. SorrentoWritersFestival dot com dot au, and you can go on there and actually put in your email, and you'll start to receive newsletters in the next three or four weeks. And the other way is to follow us on Instagram. Sorrento it begins festival.
0: on April twenty seven.
1: April twenty seven to the thirtieth. There has been some suggestion that we might on the Wednesday, the twenty sixth. If you don't have football commitments, we might actually do a live podcast from the festival hub.
0: Brilliant. We're on. Shall we? Yeah. Okay, please
1: pop it in your diary.
0: Okay, Corey, it's been 4 weeks. No excuses for not giving us a couple of book recommendations and screen and food and I'll do the same. BSF is brought to you brought to us as always by Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas and it's great to hear so many podcast listeners have signed up for Red Energy recently. Give them a call on 131806. You kick us off with a book. Well your look, book of I've the summer. I've
1: done I've done a review of Spare which uh, enough from me but I just did want a, a, a quick mention of the book of the summer so far for me and we still have a few weeks of summer so that's exciting is the Booker Prize winning novel um, by uh, the Sri Lankan writer Shehan Karunatilaka and it is called The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. Caro this is a who whodunit, a murder mystery where the main protagonist has been killed murdered, his body dismembered and dumped in a local river uh, in in Sri Lanka and he has seven moons in which to solve his, in which to solve the murder, find out who murdered him, resolve it with people he love, who he's left them, his, his murder has happened at a time of let's just say a few personal conflicts and he has seven moons in which to do it. If you can imagine dying and going to not heaven, but going to the Vic Rhodes office <laughs> of bureaucratic <laughs> hilarity oh, yep. and disorganisation yep. and malfunction, with ghosts wandering aimlessly trying to look for somebody in a white coat who might tell them where to go and what to do in their seven moons, this is a crackerjack novel. It is incredibly violent. It depicts the civil wars, the Tamil Tigers, and the Sri Lankan government in ways that are um, a, a true uh, and and um, and visceral and deeply disturbing. But it is a remarkable book, and I am. I'm 100% behind the Booker Prize judges this year. I think they got it absolutely right. The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. What about you?
0: Well, my book of the summer was, uh, I think it was reviewed by Anna from the Op Shop uh, before Christmas, Cory. But I have to say Shrines of Gaiety by one of our favourite authors, Kate Atkinson, just absolutely blew me away London 1920s based on a real-life character a nightclub owner from that time the characters in this book her turn of phrase it was just absolutely brilliant so that is my book of the summer but I do want to mention one that I haven't mentioned before and it's trespasses by Louise Kennedy
1: oh isn't that a good book debut yeah. debut yeah, novel but really
0: I read it last year by an Irish author um, <coughs> set in 1975 um, just it's a garrison town just outside of Belfast, set during the Troubles obviously. Uh, she's a young Catholic teacher. She falls in love with a married Protestant much older man who is a barrister. There's a, a sort of side stories about her violently alcoholic mother well she's not violent but she's a violent drinker. Um, her brother who runs a family pub following the death of her father um, a young boy Davey who she teaches in school and and all the characters that come into their lives. As um, one of the reviews says you know ordinary people trying to live ordinary lives in extraordinary times. Carol don't it's you think beautiful also that, story. that
1: overlay of the the troubles and it, it's um, I, I can't remember whether it's before or during Bobby Sands and the boys in the Maze prison and the hunger strikes, but there's that whole Fool's Road, Protestant versus Catholic bombing. Um, trying to get the Brits out of Northern Ireland, it's it's quite tense at times, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Well the, well, the conflict, you know, begins at family level, then to marriage level, then to wider family level, school level. It's just, um, it's it's. Look, I just absolutely loved it. So that would be my other recommendation. What about Screen? I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah,
1: Screen. I'm just. A, I've been a devotee of Series One. I understand there's a Series Two, which has thrilled me beyond expectation and that is uh the serpent queen and it's on stan um it's gee uh, you've um you you've sure it's on stan
0: of, you you sure i'm just so
1: checking <laughs> that as i'm telling you yeah, please i couldn't stan. bear any
0: more marital disputes I know. oh but
1: you know what it wouldn't be the podcast if we got it all right um yeah the serpent queen it's based on the life of catherine uh, medici and catherine de medici was uh was orphaned at a young age but she had in her pocket the pope who was uh her godfather or uncle i still haven't established what the relationship was but of course with that relationship comes a massive dowry and that makes her a lucrative catch particularly for the french uh royal court and she's married into the court at the age of 14 to the the second youngest second oldest son of the king of course, something happens in a rather grisly manner to the for, to the eldest son and all of a sudden Catherine de' Medici finds. And
0: good son, riddance, frankly. The, the He's queen, a the Queen of Right Royal CAD.
1: Um it is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant historical drama series. Really, really clever. I have to make a special mention of uh, two actors in particular. One, Samantha Morton, who plays Catherine de' Medici, the older Catherine, who whose face uh, you think, gosh, where have I seen this woman before? And then you look at her playlist and, my God, she's been in so many great British dramas yep. over the years and movies. But she's one of those chameleons. She changes with every role she has. And the other one is a is a fantastic actor who I had the privilege to interview years ago with John Fane on The Conversation Hour on um, ABC Radio. And that's Karunas Tamil, who's the British-Australian actress. She plays Catherine's dwarf maid. And she is absolutely a showstopper. Every scene she's in, it's – she – I mean, there is something um, – they play her as a kind of a comedic role to begin with because particularly in medieval and Renaissance courts, they're often seen as a bit of a court jester role. But there is nothing silly or frivolous about this maid. She is right onto the politics of it. So I love that. Um, Yeah, so that's um, that's the Serpent Queen. What about you?
0: The politics of um – Procreation is pretty fascinating too, isn't it? No, I'm I'm three Epsy and I'm absolutely loving it. Well, I've just finished the second series of Slow Horses, which I think I mentioned last time I was really looking forward to seeing. I'll be back in movie mode next week, I promise. But this is just an absolutely Brilliant, brilliant series. Kristen Scott Thomas is back. They're all, they're all back. There, the the acting in this show. Gary Oldman, Gary I Gary obviously a, who the whole show, who plays the head of um, what's it called, um, Sl- Slough House. Yes, yep. And slough, slough, slough House, Slough House. Sorry. This this um, theme of of this current series is Russians and spies. And it starts off with the murder of an old spy, an old English spy who dies a, a fairly miserable death in a public bus. And what happens and what unfolds? Oh, it's just a... It, it's a brilliant thriller. I absolutely loved it and it did not disappoint me at all.
1: And thank you for Shetland. I'm on the Series 7. I'm up to about, oh. yep, 4 or 5. I know it's coming to its natural life and you reminded us all that it was no longer on ABC but on Binge. So once we finally got the account fixed up... <laughs> (laughs) We have been uh, binging, so to speak, (laughs) the last couple of weeks. So thanks for that.
0: So, Corrie, um, cooking. Now, I'll go first because I suspect you have something sweet. I do. And I have savoury. So I'll go first. This is the main course of the summer. Um, Clem put on a beautiful lunch for my other daughter rose when she was in town for a few of her friends um first lunch had to be cancelled as you know the second lunch went ahead on a smaller scale she made this salmon i swear it's it's the best um whole salmon and there was there are a lot of brilliant ones that we've done over the years you know there's the one with you know the pine nuts and the tahini there's um the one with the lemon and the fennel but this one it's called slow roasted salmon with citrus salsa verde miss jane is putting the recipe on the show notes but and the recipe well i gather it must be english or american because all the measurements are um fahrenheit oven and um in pounds but it's it's a large salmon it's basically two lemons zested and juiced two oranges zested and juiced one red onion thinly sliced one garlic clove one teaspoon smoked paprika quarter of a cup Cilantro. Is it like coriander?
1: Mm, that's, that's coriander. Yep,
0: yeah. Quarter of a cup chopped parsley and a cup of extra virgin olive oil. And that's it. And it is very simple, what you do with it. You tasted it. Wasn't it just incredible? Well,
1: uh, I've had a lot of wonderful Clemmy Donahue recipes over the years and it was a joy to be included in Rose's little lunch. I couldn't get enough of the salmon, I have to say. I, I went back for a second. I, I, I just couldn't nail the – I couldn't nail exactly – the flavors because it all just blended in. Well, you it was cook it stunning. in half
0: the orange and lemon, like uh, half the juice and the zest, and then you use the rest with the um, salsa thing on the top with the um, other herbs. It just and and the the secret is that it's slow cooked. I mean, not slow cooked, but it. T- I mean, two hundred and fifty Fahrenheit. Well, that must be about a hundred and certainly not one eighty Celsius. Must be much lower than that. You bake it for between thirty and forty five minutes, and it it cooks it evenly. It's absolutely delicious.
1: It was perfect. It was such potties, get on board with this recipe. I can honestly t- in fact I'm going to do it this weekend. I think you've just
0: you've just solved a dilemma, a cooking dilemma for me. It's and, great. And a shout out to a book I was given by my friend Trish. Beatrix Bakes. She made the pillowy peach and polenta pie the other day. Oh, can you do
1: that next week? Because I'm a huge fan of Beatrix Bakes and she's just actually closed her shop in North Melbourne. She's doing another uh, cookbook this year, which is exciting through Hardy Grant. But I really, I love that book. It sold so well when I had a bookshop. So you have to talk
0: about that. One of the best fruit pies, tarts I've ever eaten. It was just delicious. Thank you, Trish. Now, you have not another cheesecake. Yeah, I know. Brilliant.
1: So, um, So I did cheesecake for Christmas Day, which is actually what my mum used to do. So I've decided that that's going to be my thing. And uh, it's from... Yet again, talk about old favourites that we've had in the six years of this podcast, of 250 episodes. Julia Bazutu-Nishimura, better known as Ostro, has featured again and again and again. And, in fact, indeed, uh, we did an interview with her on the book pod a couple of months ago and it was so lovely to meet her in person. But this is from her second book, A Year of Simple Family Food, and it's called Classic Baked Cheesecake, Caro. Is and it difficult? No, it is not difficult at all it's um your 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 middle or your center is full fat cheese sour cream caster sugar vanilla extract ground cinnamon zest of a lemon and three eggs and the recipe which we'll have on the show notes will tell you how to assemble all of that the biscuit base is granita biscuits or other other any other semi-sweet like a mari biscuit i guess you could do um I had some leftover, heaps of leftover crumbs from my shortbread tin when I cooked shortbreads before Christmas, so I actually put some of them in there as well. But you add to this biscuit mix with the caster sugar and the pinch of sea salt, ground cinnamon, which Julia does often in her uh, cheesecake recipes. It gives it a lovely, um, almost like a Dutch spiced biscuit kind of uh, taste to it. Really delicious. Um, Julia in her picture here has put uh, tangelos as a decoration on top of her um, on top of her cheesecake, and it looks really beautiful. But what I did was I just got the summer berries, not not strawberries, but just um, the uh, what did I use? Um, blueberries and raspberries obviously and there were some black currants um no mulberries I can't remember there was a fourth berry can't remember what it was in the shop interestingly and it looked absolutely beautiful and I had little sprigs of mint so it did look quite Christmassy it looked beautiful um because it is
0: very rich in your for those who cream. can't see Corrie's doing a nice little sort of Hands gesture here,
1: like I'm (laughs) popping the mint on the thing, and um, and because it's so rich, Carol, and you have it with drizzle, a drizzle of cream, you do. You in we? How many did we have on Christmas Day? I think we had. I don't know ten adults or something, and the kids. Uh, We still had uh, uh, cheesecake left, so it's a really good one. If you, the recipe says for ten, but you could easily serve it for twelve or even fourteen. It's a great recipe, and that those recipes will be on the show notes. Now, Caro, it's summer. We've had a lovely time. Why are you grumpy?
0: Because Nick Curios just gives me the pip.
1: Oh, he's been I'm t- doing that for about four years. I know, but yarn, it's, yarn.
0: it's that time of the year again. The Australian Open has kicked off. Nick, look, I understand he has a legitimate injury and I understand that he's not as bad as he once was, but he gives a press conference before the Australian Open. Yet again, I know I might be only ranked this high in the world but I reckon there's every reason I can win it this year he's injured again a lot of good players are out of the men's draw which is really disappointing fabulous news that Ash Barty is having a baby because we love her but we're very sad that she's not playing in the Australian Open and but she's giving the trophy isn't she So we will see her on the last day. Well, yes, but it's not quite the same as seeing her serve. I mean, look, it's just so wonderful. She's done it so perfectly, but I think it's just a pity for Australian tennis because there just isn't really anyone to fly the flag, I feel, at the moment. And and I, I just can't... Bare, wasted, brilliant talent. And the way the tennis circuit seems to work is that someone like Nick Kyrgios can make a huge amount of money without actually fulfilling his clearly absolutely brilliant talent. And I just find it really disappointing. Well, he
1: couldn't help it that he has an injury,
0: Kara. No, but it was a pretty arrogant press conference he gave the other day. And I I just think a, a little bit of humility goes a long way, Nick. And I just feel that will he ever achieve his true worth will he ever actually win a grand slam i mean he's just not really ever been good enough and um i hope the australian open goes well absolutely devastating obviously for channel nine that you know they don't have ash Barty and now they don't have any curios and it's um, i'm sure that the stories will tell themselves that they always do in these things but little bit disappointing and he makes me grumpy. Now, Corrie, do you want to kick off six quick questions I for will. Red Energy?
1: I will. Should the New South Wales Premier step
0: down over his massive error of judgment on his 21st birthday? Yeah, the wearing a Nazi uniform at any age, certainly over the age of about 16, I think is probably a deal breaker. And, you know, it was dealt with pretty... in in depth in the book Spare, wasn't it, about Harry's decision to do that. He sort of half blames his brother and his sister-in-law, which I thought was a bit of a cop-out myself. thought that was a particularly nasty thing of him to do. I, that, that very difficult for me. I think you need to, I know that um, Dominic spoke to the head of um, the jury in New South Wales and he saw this story was going to come and someone was going to leak it against him and so he got on the front foot and revealed it. I have a real problem with absolutely lambasting someone for a terrible mistake they made when they were much younger. Particularly if it didn't... I mean, I'm, obviously there are some things like an act of real physical violence or sexual assault you couldn't forgive. I think it's going to be difficult for him to come back from this, but I don't actually think he should stand down. Is that is that bad? It's a real no, it's a I, I think that I think that's pretty fair. I, I do. I, I I think
1: and especially costume parties and things. Why anyone we, would we've we've all, think we've about we one all worn, worn silly outfits oh, but, Corrie, but, but no, there are no, yeah, I mean there, well no, I agree with that. I, mean, I was about to say there there are some costumes and that's one in particular that you would never ever wear and just getting back to Prince Harry. I I, I think um I think that was um it was beyond an error of judgment. It was complete it was complete ignorance, and I just think, who on earth was teaching that child at Eton about the history of the 20th century? I and know, I and I, I do know. feel a 21, and I would imagine Dominic Perrottet was at university at that time. Uh, 21's not 16, is it? It's a little bit older. And what and were his
0: parents thinking? Did he
1: not think in the last couple of years since uh, getting himself to a position in in? Um, Gladys Berejiklian's government and then becoming Premier, did he not think that this should be addressed earlier? Was it because his hand was being forced? I would have probably liked to have seen him address this off his own bat a, a little bit earlier. But um, is it a sackable offence uh, for for a Premier who... Whether you agree or disagree with his politics, whether you think he's doing a good job or not, is it something that takes down a premier? I'm probably sitting with you on that one, and probably not, but it will have an impact. There's no doubt.
0: I think, it'll, I think it I think. I think the um, voters will speak, and it will, That will probably make the decision for him. But yeah, really, very, very strange decision. Corrie, who's passing in recent weeks, gave you a jolt.
1: Just the other day, Cara Renee Geyer. Oh, I know. I sound a bit like Renee today with my Did she voice. have hip
0: surgery? She had hip surgery. If you could I'd sing like Renee Gay, <laughs> you wouldn't be on a podcast with me.
1: <laughs> exactly right. Well, what no, a beautiful I'd, 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 voice I'd she along. had. I'd, I'd come and visit you from my um, ARIA Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, Carol, she had, I gather that when I was either preparing for surgery or, I, I don't know, it wouldn't have been during, but they've discovered that she had inoperable lung cancer. So it's curious about what's happened here because they've said that it was um, she died as a result of complications with the hip surgery and her family were around her. So I'm not sure how all of this has unfolded, but obviously because it's Renee Gaia and she was somebody who was kind of of my time, of my teenagehood. She was one of the great women of Australian rock and roll. It's a Man's World is still one of the terrific feminist anthems 1974 that came out i'll never forget it this is if you take yourself back to the early days of Countdown. Oh, God, let's not talk about Molly Mildrum dropping his jacks at Elton. But
0: no, that was weird, wasn't we it? So I don't think Elton was that impressed.
1: So I don't think Elton was impressed. But um, if you go back to those great days of, of Countdown and we all started shooting in in 1974 or 75 and, gee, it was a, a great show, but it was consistently boy bands and I don't mean in the kind of the young boy, I mean... Bands with blokes, Skyhooks, ACDC, Hush, Cush, Dragon, Mental as Anything, Split Ends. They were all the leading acts. And then when you got a a woman like Marcia Hines or Renee Geyer, it was just such a completely different change of pace. And she took it right up to the blokes, I felt, with her performance. She had a bit of a difficult time, went to LA, tried to carve out a career over there, she described herself once as a white Hungarian Jew from Australia sounding like a 65-year-old black man from Alabama, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> she said that herself. But um, in the 80s, she, working with LA producers, she did come up with Say I Love You, which was a bit of a different... Beach for her. It was quite poppy. And I just finished with The Guardian, which said of her, she was belatedly inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame in 2006, a mark of respect that also served as a quasi-apology from an industry that never fully understood her, nor knew what to do with her. So, Vale Renee Gayer.
0: I'll never forget <laughs> my producer when I was um, hosting at 3AW in the mid-90s, Paige McGinley. We were we were at some function, some musical function, and one of the producers of the function ran up past Paige and was looking absolutely distraught. And um, Paige said, what's wrong? And she said, oh, you know, Renee. <laughs> we were like, we were desperate to know. No, what is it about Renee that has caused this producer to be, or whatever he was, so distraught? So I think he was probably, you know, my thing. If you're a difficult man in that industry or a bit unusual... You get away with it. If you're a difficult woman, nah.
1: Yeah, I agree. and It's a man's world. Ma- Ma- Michael Godinski, uh, who died not long ago, um, said she was uh, the greatest singer of his lifetime in Australia, which was huge, huge. and he said, uh, yes, you've got a difficult woman, but you are bloody fantastic, saying that to Renee. So I don't know how the difficult woman thing began, started, ended, but... Um, Anyway, it's, it, it, I felt quite sad. I felt very sad the other day.
0: That Tara- Sunday morning song was so beautiful. Oh,
1: so many great hits. Um, what has been the worst sports
0: story over the summer for you? Oh, definitely um, the violence at Amy Stadium just before Christmas um, in the Melbourne Victory v Melbourne City game. I think eight people were arrested. And really young men, you know, 18 to 23-year-old men performing these horrific acts of violence. The flares, the uh, it, it was just absolutely dreadful. I mean, I know that one of the players was talked about for throwing something back into the crowd, but I don't blame him for losing his temper. Um, so soon after the World Cup and the way Australia held itself there and performed there, it was just so disappointing. So absolutely devastating. I should say having performed down here at the wonderful event at the aforementioned Continental Hotel in Sorrento, fundraiser for MND, and Neil Danaher's, um, well, I suppose Don mcclarty organises it on behalf of Neil Danaher and his family and the money, the millions of dollars they've raised, but to see Neil Danaher there still to be able to smile and eat and wave to the crowd, his daughter Beck having given birth to a child, another one of his kids is about to have a baby, to think he's actually going to meet his grandchildren. Sorry, just a side mention of another very amazing story about what sport can do to raise funds. And obviously awareness for something mm, that, that is a, just that's such a very an in, good news story, Insidious yeah. illness. Now, Corrie, which memoir would you rather read, Spare, or the forthcoming Boris Johnson autobiography, for which apparently he's getting one point seven million dollars? That's the tip. Yes, he's, he was over, over at the states on the weekend talking
1: to Rupert Murdoch, who, of course, part of Rupert's empire is Harper So, I think Boris has done a deal with them. Um, I would much rather read Prince Harry's Caro, even though Boris is a very fine writer we know he used to be editor of the spectator and he's written a couple of books including a most excellent uh in boris chat uh look at um the life of um, and contribution of winston churchill but i've, I've read been, the
0: winston churchill book it's bloody it's good. good i it's just good. don't want to
1: hear boris try and explain away party gate i don't want to see him dumping on wait for it Rishi Sunak (laughs) or with... or I'm too scared to say the other one. I can't remember now. It was
0: Liz, wasn't it? Liz Liz Truss.
1: But more particularly uh, Rishi because, of course, he's now the Prime Minister, but they had a very difficult relationship, which I think from Boris's point of view was based on paranoia, insecurity and just creating devilment. But I'm just not really that interested in Boris's take on history. Interestingly... I was more interested in Harry's take on history. So, no, I won't be reading that. What about you? Would you be reading Boris's memoir?
0: Probably not. After watching that um, extraordinary series starring Kenneth Branagh as Boris Johnson, which we talked about a few weeks ago, um, he clearly really wasn't running the country at all. <laughs> so, no, he's a, a bit of an egomaniac. Interesting man, obviously, but egomaniac. Um, Carol,
1: what is your annual summer dilemma?
0: Oh, Corey, the decision... That if you get it wrong, you pay for for the rest of the year, and you are well acquainted with this. Which diary to oh purchase? Oh my god!
1: Yeah, onto my third. I'm happy now. In fact, you're onto your ta- third. Yeah, no, but this this one I'm settled. I, I had I had I think I told you guys before Christmas that I had one. I ordered one, a beautiful one, uh, apple green linen. Oh, that's and right. They, and they engrave on it in gold CP. From and I, it arrived, and I don't like the font. Hate the font, can't hard, can hardly read it, and don't like it. And then the it second one, I went on a whim, was a day. Can a I change page. the
0: P to a W and just? It, you
1: can have it. <laughs> Keep it. And so interestingly, my daughter Cheka rang me this morning, and she said that one of her staff were going down to Office Works, and she's not happy with her diary. Could I take a photo of the one that I now am entrenched with? Because she loves my diary. So,
0: what have you been? I've, I noticed you've got that little one. I talked you into. Do you not like it? Well, no, it, no, I'm loving it. Well, no, I bought one and you sent me back to the news agent. <laughs> I, d- I said no to this one because it was I didn't forty dollars. I just,
1: I just highlighted it. its false.
0: You all. and my brother said get back to that news agent. It was forty dollars. The other one was twenty. I was being a cheapskate. I'm not happy with the colours of this one. Well, I don't really care about I mean, the colours. I don't see you as a fluoro kind of girl. Well, it's green with a bit of orange. That's all right. It's just it's just got this lovely monthly tracker at the beginning. It's got this fabulous sort of week to a page, which is what I like. It's soft. The one I bought last year in Europe from Waterstones was brilliant. It was small, little hardbacks fitted snugly into any bag. This is a bit bigger, but it's softer and it's easier to manoeuvre and I'm very happy with it.
1: Carol, I often order books from Waterstones, so... If you see a diary, if you see the diary, you can just jump into my envelope and they can post it out. Seriously, you can buy online.
0: I understand water, that, but I, I delayed, 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 and, you know, things start backing up. You think, oh, I need to get a diary. I've got to stop to filling your it in. dates in. Well, uh, that and my ballet dates and my podcast dates and my social dates and my footy classified dates. Now, Corrie, you're going to kick, uh, not kick us off, close us down with an amazing fact, the first for 2023.
1: Well, this is going to give you the ear at because this is so not your speed. It's facts about fiction. It's Chinese New Year on uh, Sunday, uh, as we record this now a few days away. And it's a big welcome to the year of the rabbit. I know you'll be so into this discussion now, so you can just tune out and have a little zoos. The sign of the rabbit is a symbol of longevity, peace and prosperity in Chinese culture. And 2023 is predicted to be a year of hope. Um, now, interestingly, anybody who's turning 60 this year is a year of the rabbit, um, if you were born in 51 or 63 or 1975 or 1987, oh, that's one of my kids, that's Francesca, 1999, uh, 2011 or 2023, um, you are a year of the rabbit. And each... Uh, you know, of course, how this works in Chinese uh, Zodiac caro, that they have, uh, I think it's 12 animals for the year. Um, yes, they do have 12. Rat, ox, uh tiger, dragon, snake, so on and so forth. Do you know what you are? You would have no idea what
0: no, you are. No, oh, I'm sort of a bit hocus pocus for me. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> I looked up what you were. What am I? I'm not going to say this with any editorialising. <laughs>
0: what? You are a A rat. A rat. Oh, well, there we are. That's even more reason to dislike, dislike the <laughs> Chinese. Ben, it,
1: I, I'd rather be you than me. I'm an ox, which just suggests, you know, big and storming around, you know. Not,
0: you not know. dislike the Chinese, I hasten to add. The Chinese new. what is it, the different years?
1: Yeah. The Year of the Rabbit symbolises, also symbolises longevity, positivity, wittiness, cautiousness, cleverness, deafness and self-protection and um, rabbits tend to, rabbit characteristics tend to make us relaxed, fluid in our thinking, quiet and contemplative. Um, so all of that's rather jolly. And then I thought, oh, what about our old friend Nostradamus? I wonder what prediction he made. Oh, was it the 16th century? <laughs> what prediction did he make about the year 2023 to be exact? Sure enough, Caro, he or his online team have something to say about this. He predicts a new Pope. How many amazing
0: facts have you got this week? He predicts
1: the burning down of a palace. He doesn't say which one. Oh,
0: well, literally or fig- figuratively? Well,
1: Isn't that interesting? That's, yeah. Nostradamus doesn't get into the weeds, Carol. He leaves it to you to interpret.
0: He leaves um, it general so he's He talks right. about
1: hot temperatures on Earth, which causes the world's fish population to diminish significantly. He's oh. very worried about that. He said there would be a failed Mars mission. I mean... Really? Did he know about rocket ships in the 16th century? And he also predicted World War III. Um, it doesn't his, sound
0: like a very hopeful year to me.
1: <laughs> in his words, 2023 is a dark year. But for somebody... You just said it
0: was a year of hope. Well, th-
1: that was the Chinese. We're oh. talking now Nostradamus. For me, I think it's going to be a good year because when you have a birthday like mine, which is the 23rd of the 3rd, 2023... There are so many twos and threes there. There must be some good luck there.
0: Anyway, someone, someone will tell us. That was Corrie's wonderful, amazing fact. Sort of hopeful, sort of dark. And that was episode 250. Corrie, what do we say? Don't shoot the old messengers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And if you'd like to support the podcast, tell a friend about the show. Perhaps they haven't discovered it yet. You can send us an email to feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at dontshootpod and sign up for our weekly email. We'll send you the show notes straight to your inbox. And of course, thanks to our show sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store.